Matthew chapter 6 and in verse 1, Jesus said, be careful. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven, verse 2, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. The Pharisees, as they, as they passed through the streets and would progress towards the, the temple, they hired trumpeteers to blow the trumpets. As they made their way to the offering box for the poor. And the sound of the trumpets were, well, they were kind of like the ice cream truck we just saw. They were the Pied Piper. And so literally these these guys would be blowing trumpets and the Pharisees in their long robes and their phylacteries would be walking in regality and religiosity to the temple. And as they got to the temple, they would begin to put money in the, the box that was for the poor, but they'd also throw the money out amongst the poor, and the poor would grab the money. Trumpets were blown to call people together to see how generous, how loving, how spiritual, how careful the Pharisees were to meet all the requirements of the law, to see and be overwhelmed by the righteousness of these religious leaders. Look at me. Ba, 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 ba. I'm giving to the poor. Ba, 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 ba. I'm standing on the street corner and I'm praying. And boy, I, my prayers are pretty amazing. Jesus warns that those who blow their own horns, whose motivation is to be honored by men, will they have their reward in full. They've got their moment on the stage, the adoration of the people. And guess what? That's it. That's it. No no rewards in heaven. But, But more importantly, no encouragement from God the Father. No well done, good and faithful servant. Remember this. You might want to write this down. Well, we have forgotten this in the 20th and 21st century. Um, But as followers of Jesus, we are a hidden people. We're stealthy. I know it's so countercultural, right? We live in an Instagram, a Facebook. uh, Take a thousand pictures because we can on our phone and look at me. It's a selfie. I'm, I'm so important. We're uniquely different in that we we put all the spotlight on King Jesus. We're we're mindful that as a hidden people, we do things in secret so that God may reward us in the light. He may reward us outwardly. In this world or, or the world to come, but if we do things outwardly, there is no reward. That's the reward. Welcome back to our series on what many scholars call the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. 
And, and before we go any, any further, because it's such a long sermon, let me, let me give us kind of an overview of the sermon. Let me remind us of the gist of the sermon that began way back in Matthew chapter 5 with the Beatitudes. That's the beginning of the sermon. Take a look at this kind of overview. Jesus' target in the Sermon on the Mount is to expose superficial religion for what it is. A phony system of spirituality meant to make self-worship seem like God-worship. He aims to show us what real righteousness is, and in order for that to be clear, he must expose hypocritical actions. Jesus wanted us to see that the roots of superficial religion are planted in the soil of self-deception. I don't have a problem. You realize we are a broken people redeemed only through the grace and mercy and blood of our Lord Jesus. And and yet these religious leaders were saying, I I don't have a problem or self-justification. Well, I've never murdered anybody. I've never actually committed adultery. So in Matthew chapter 5, we've we've looked at things like anger and lust and keeping our word, oaths and getting even and turning the other cheek. And we would think of these things as the what problem with superficial religion. Chapter 6 introduces us to the how problem of superficial religion. In chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, we see that Jesus turns his focus from what are real sins to what constitutes real religious duties. In other words, Jesus wants us to see that superficial religion involves doing the right things with the wrong motives. Let me state it very clearly and simply, and I want you to see behind me on the screen. Motives matter to God. Motives matter to God. Real religion involves righteousness from the heart and religious actions done with right motivations. So Jesus shows us the importance of motivations through three examples. You may recall that that Jim said last week this has been a sermon within a sermon. And and, and, And Jim went over the first two examples over the last two weeks. He talked about giving and he talked about prayer and and this week we're going to talk about something that just to be real honest a a lot of us don't think much about in our western culture it used to be pretty prominent in the church and over the last I don't know a couple hundred years in America specifically we just don't talk much about it but Jesus is going to talk about fasting and how really 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 important it is So, if you haven't already, do me a favor and turn in in your Bibles or your Bible apps to the New Testament book of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 16, Jesus said, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. What they would do is they literally would take ash and like a charcoal mixed with dirt, and they would would rub it on their face, and they would mess up their hair, and they would mess up their beard, and they'd take their clothes and make them look kind of 
wore out and frumpy and they would walk around and people would go, oh, look at those Pharisees. They're so godly. They're fasting. Remember when you were a kid and you used to fake a sickness before you went to school? You remember that? Don't lie to me. You look in the mirror and you mess up your hair and you make your eyes real sad. And, oh, I'm not feeling good. Your voice would get kind of Jim Hall. I'm not feeling really good. Oh, Lord. Jim, are you still here? No, he's gone. Let's keep talking about him. And that's what they would do. They, they would blow their horn when they would give. And they would announce on street corners when they would pray. And they would look forlorn and tired and wore out when they fasted. Truly, I tell you, Jesus says they have received the reward in full, verse 17. But when you fast, followers of me, put oil on your head, on your beard, look fresh, wash your face, put on a happy face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will will reward you. Do me a favor, write this down. This is really important. Fasting is about creating an appetite for God, not for fulfilling hunger for the approval of man. Fasting was a normal part of the Jewish faith. Once a year, on the Day of Atonement, they fasted. Luke chapter 18 says that the Pharisees would fast twice a week. So there is an assumption about fasting here. Jesus says, when you fast. You may may recall it. He said earlier, when you give, when you pray. As as followers of me, um, you're going to be a people who give. Like if you're not giving, something's wrong. If you're not praying, something's wrong. If you're not fasting, something's wrong. And I can already kind of hear what you're, what you're saying because I thought this myself. Well, whoa, 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 Lee, I think praying and giving are commanded, but fasting, I got you, Lee, it's, it's not commanded, right? Not necessarily, but write this down. It's expected, which kind of feels like a command, right? Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 14. Um, then John's disciples came and asked him, and they said, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And then Jesus answered, he said this, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? In other words, man, we're having a party. The owner of the house is here. We, we're partying. The time will come, though, when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. Jesus expects us to fast. We're going to break that down today, why it's so important. So, what is biblical fasting? Let's work uh, on a definition together. Biblical fasting is saying no to food or whatever, and we'll explain the whatever here in just a second, and saying yes to God in prayer. Uh, Fasting is designed to remind us that more than anything, we need God. It is to be that that substitute right for food and drink and stuff where we say I'm putting that to aside and I'm just thinking about you God I'm, I'm feeling some 
some physical or emotional hunger. I'm going to transfer it from a cheeseburger, from Wright's Barbecue. By the way, have you been to Wright's Barbecue? How good is that? Unbelievable. I'm leaving the burnt ends, and I'm coming over to you, God, and I'm thinking about you and not the burnt ends. Fasting is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not something we do to make God do something for us. It's for us that we might focus more on God. Fasting is an act in which we deliberately and voluntarily deny self out of a desire to draw closer to God. We say no to the cravings of the flesh for a period of time in order that our spirits may say yes to something better that God has for us. It just may be his presence, and that's pretty cool. So, very quickly, let me give you, give us some practical ways to fast. Let's just get real practical about this. Number one, how do you fast? Well, you go without food and drink, not water, but maybe other, other types of drink, for a period of time um, to spend that time in prayer with God. It could be for a meal. Um, it could be for more than a meal. It could be for a day or two. I would encourage you, if it's longer than three or four days, um, seek professional or medical attention, right? Get wisdom as to what the best course of action would be. Number two, fasting means to go without other things for a period of time so that we might spend that time in prayer with God. I would, I would say social media, all forms, maybe for a day or two, um, or forever. I don't know. Just think about it. <laughs> You're not taking my social media away from me. I'll just give you something really interesting. Um, when we've been gone for about a month, we spent, and I'll talk about it more later in, in, in the talk, but two, two weeks in, with our, our, some of our global workers, and then Ruth and I, another 10 days with my son and daughter. In the last five days, um, it was kind of a boot camp we spent in Hawaii. It was tough, really tough suffering for Jesus but for the first 26 days there was almost no television movies we did see Star Wars in Hong Kong that was pretty cool but apart from that and very little social media and at first you kind of have this I cannot live then after a while you go wow I think this is the way it's supposed to be I really do maybe it's a fast from from television um, this week I decided to take um, one evening, it's, it's gone, it's done, and I just said I'm not going to watch any television. And it, the house was awkwardly quiet and strange and weird, and at first I thought I don't think I can do this. Now of course Ruth was in the other room watching television, pagan. Um, <laughs> Hi, how you doing in there you old hermit crab, you Okay. But once again, after a while, I kind of hit my stride and I'm like, wow, this awkward quietness allows me just to talk more with you, God, and to think more deeply about you. I, I mean, I can do this. Maybe it's music, video games. Uh, I put this, you know, people say, well, that's a little awkward. Weekends out, some people just live for the weekends and they're like, they, got, they get to Friday and they feel every, maybe you just say, I'm just going to. I'm going to fast from that or fast from busyness for the sake of being busy. How about 
smartphone or cell phone. Maybe it's people. For some of you, you need to hang around with more people. You're, you're a little bit introverted. For others, it's people are your scaffolding. People are the, are the reason you get up every morning. Not necessarily bad, but sometimes God says, well, you just get along with me. Scripture gives us many purposes for fasting in the Old and New Testament. Let me walk through nine. I'll do it quickly. It won't take long. The number, I say the number one purpose. I don't think it's in chronological order. I just think it's out there. But to sharpen prayer. And you'll notice that when you fast, especially from food and drink, but other things as well, that your prayer life becomes more focused. It really does. To ask for God's direction. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. Number three, to express grief. It could be for someone else's pain. We see that often in the Old Testament, or it could be for your own sin. Uh, I've done that. Um, I've just come to the end of myself. Kind of like Paul in Romans 7. It's like, why do I do the things I I shouldn't do, and why don't I do the things I should do? And I just fast, and I just take time to deal with Lee. I'm just a mess. And God tends to give me clarity in those moments. Number four, to ask for deliverance or protection. We'll also talk about that in just a minute. Five, to express repentance and a return to God, both individually and corporately, maybe even as a church and as a nation. Number, number six, to humble oneself before God. That's common throughout the Old and New Testament. Number seven, to express concern for the work of God. Nehemiah fasted for the building of the walls around Jerusalem, that the work would be completed. Number eight, to overcome temptation and to dedicate ourselves to God. Of course, Jesus is our best example of this. He fasted for 40 days um, and resisted the temptation of the devil. Number nine, to express love and and worship to God. You may remember Anna in Luke chapter two, who was waiting for the Messiah. And, And the writer says this, she never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Most scholars feel that she probably did that for about 50 years of her life. Wow. Now, I want to get real practical because I know what tends to happen with something like this is we're just not used to it and we go, I'm not under, you know, giving, prayer, boy, those things preach, fasting, I'm not sure. I, I would just say this, if we grab a hold of fasting mixed with prayer, of course, giving too, our lives will change. So I want to spend the rest of our time with just um, three ways, three reasons that we should fast and three stories attached to that that I think are pretty significant. So um, number one, first reason why we might fast is to seek guidance from God. And I want to give you an, a biblical example that I think is pretty cool. Acts chapter 13, verse 1 now, in the church at Antioch, which was a, a multiracial, multicultural church, really cool. That's, that's my prayer always, that God would raise up those churches everywhere. There were prophets and teachers. There was Barnabas and Simeon called Niger and, and, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul, who's Paul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me. Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and and, and sent them off. I love the example that the early church has set for us. And I want to just I want to publicly apologize for something. I don't I don't think that as a church we fast enough. And I want to say sorry. 
And I'm not exactly sure why. I don't know what's happened. Um, I do believe a lot of our leadership does it personally. I do. But for some reason, we've missed the clear example set for us in both the Old and New Testaments to call God's people to fast as spiritual leaders. And, and I'll talk about this in a minute, but we need to get better at that. And I, I just love this example. Together they worshiped the Lord. We love the worship part, right? But also they fasted. And as a result of fasting as a part of their worship, they heard words of direction from the Holy Spirit. Do you want to hear words of direction from the Holy Spirit? I do. And specifically, they heard these words, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. And those are two guys that you want to stay in your church, elder material to say the least. But the spirits that I have called them, and as we read, the church obeyed and sent them out. And, And so after they fasted and prayed... This amazing synergy takes place between the Holy Spirit and the church. The Spirit led and the church listened and the church supported and the Holy Spirit gave direction and the church cooperated. And you say, well, what's the big deal? Here's the big deal. One of the greatest church planting and ministry movements maybe ever took place because a little church in Antioch obeyed the Holy Spirit when they worshiped and fasted. John Piper, as only he can do, this is so good. He gives a a great quote concerning Acts chapter 13 and the power of worship, prayer, and fasting. Take a look behind me. He says, and I quote, this moment of prayer and fasting, it resulted in in a missions movement that would make Christianity the dominant religion of the Roman Empire within two and a half centuries. I I want you to get a hold of that. This little church comes together, this multicultural, multiracial church, and they begin to worship, and they begin to pray, and they begin to fast, and they lay hands on, on these, two, these two Jewish guys, and they send them off, and the result is a missions movement the world has never seen. But in that moment, they probably thought, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? He says, Christianity became the dominant religion of the Roman Empire within two and a half centuries and would yield billions of adherents to the Christian religion today with a Christian witness in virtually every country in the world. Like we're sitting here because of these two guys. Like the gospel went west, that's us because of these two guys. 13 out of the 29 books of the New Testament were the result of the ministry that was launched in this moment of prayer and fasting. So I think it is fair to say that God was pleased to make worship and prayer and fasting the launching pad for a mission that would change the course of world history. Piper says, is there not a lesson there for us? Yes, there's two lessons. Number one, this is for me personally, maybe it's for you too. But my mission out there is is born through prayer and fasting inside of me. I'm sorry that so often in in the church in America today that we're just looking for superstars who have great talent. And really God has just said, I'm looking for men and women who will get on their knees and on their faces before me and will pray and fast. And when you do that, I'll show you what you need to do. And the second thought is this, and I mentioned it briefly a second ago. Our church mission out there is born through prayer and fasting in here. 
And I think we do a pretty good job on the prayer part. We could always do better. I think we've done a poor job on the fasting part. Forgive us. Hopefully, in the days and weeks and months and years to come, we will more, more often than not begin to call this body to a time of fasting. Boy, for such a time as this, do you think prayer and fasting is important? Boy, just pick up a newspaper. Just look at the internet. Just watch the news. First reason why we might fast is to seek guidance from God. Second reason might be to seek the salvation of, of a loved one. Many of us in this room, we have a friend, relative, spouse, or child, or children that don't know Jesus. And our hearts are breaking. And we can't force them to be followers, so what, what can we do? Ruth and I, um, more confession here. We have a loved one that we desperately want. We want them to know Jesus. And we've gotten to this habit over the last, I don't know, six months of continually talking about them and gossiping about them, but not praying for them and fasting for them. Like somehow we're going to talk them or gossip them into the kingdom of God. Like behind their back, we're just angry and frustrated and da 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 And somehow, some magic word or word is going to release the kingdom in the life of this person. And finally, God just said to us, shut up. Just keep your mouth shut. Pray. Fast. And then Ruth read a story, which I'm going to share a portion of it, about a mom who did just that. Christopher Yuan, you'll see the picture behind me. He's a good-looking Chinese guy. He's a teacher at, at Wheaton College. He's a worldwide, speaks domestically, speaks overseas, prisons, college campuses, conferences, everywhere. He's amazing. But it, it wasn't always that way. Christopher, as I said, grew up in a Chinese kind of a Chinese-American home. Um, not a lot of love. Was asked to perform and to measure up and obtain this high standard, but not a lot of love. Just wasn't, just wasn't there. His father, Leon, who was not a believer, uh, was a dentist, and he hoped that one day Christopher would join him in his practice. But three months before Christopher was to graduate from the University of Louisville uh, Dental School, he was expelled. Three months. So close. And Leon, his dad, an unbeliever, a harsh man, and Angela, his mom, who was a brand new believer in her 40s, they flew out to speak to the dean of the dental school. And his dad and Christopher expected his mom, who could be really tough, to lay into the dean and say, let my son stay in dental school. We'll work this out. She didn't do that. She said in front of her husband, in front of her son, and to the dean, she said, I don't care about dental school. All I care about is that Christopher comes to know and love Jesus Christ. 
Well, this made Christopher so mad that he went the opposite direction. He began to party, illicit sex, tons of drugs. He became a drug dealer. Started to make a ton of money, was separated from his family, wouldn't talk to his mom or dad. Tons of friends, tons of money. Little did he know that his mom had begun to pray. For years, she had been earnestly pleading with God to save her son. She had converted an unused shower in their home to a prayer room. (laughs) Like, who does that? And she prayed and studied the word of God for so long and for so many hours in that converted shower that she developed calluses and knee problems. Not only that, she enlisted hundreds of friends to join her in interceding for her son. She didn't talk about it. She prayed. And while Christopher was partying, she was praying. In particular, Angela prayed that in some way and for some reason, Christopher's Christopher's friends, who were a horrible influence on him, would desert him. By the way, parents, that's a great prayer. That's a great prayer. Then one day, the DEA showed up to Christopher's apartment and charged him with numerous drug offenses, and he was sentenced to six years in federal prison. And immediately, just as Angela had prayed, his friends deserted him. He was utterly alone, facing six years in prison, doing hard time and with no other recourse. He picked up the phone, and for the first time in many, many years, he called his mom. And he said, Mom, I'm in jail. I'm in prison. And she rejoiced because she had prayed that God would bring him to the end of himself. And she gave thanks that her son was in prison. And she said, I'm praying for you. I'm fasting for you. On his third day in prison, Christopher walked past a pile of trash and he noticed a book turned over on its side. It looked brand new. He went over and he grabbed the book and it was a brand new Gideon's New Testament. And he says, I'm so, I'm bored out of my skull. And he went back to his room and he began to read this New Testament over and over and over again. Until eventually Christopher, and he began to study the word of God with other men. And eventually Christopher became a Christian in prison. Now get this. I want you to see their picture. This is mom and son now. Get this. During this entire time, Angela, his mom, committed every Monday to prayer and water fasting. And she prayed for 39, you don't have to do this, but this is what she did. She prayed for 39 straight days that her son might find peace in Jesus Christ. In between the services, I wasn't going to share it, but this story is so cool. I won't give a name. But a young man came up to me who I just love and admire and he's so godly godly family, dad's a pastor, and he was weeping, and he said, as you shared this story, Lee, it reminded me of my own life. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, when I was a teenager, he said, I sold drugs out of um, my basement, my mom and dad's basement, totally lost, and he said, I, I didn't know it till after the fact, but every Thursday, for two and a half years, my mom, my sister, 
and two of my sister's friends, they fasted from Thursday to Saturday morning for my soul. You think fasting's important? Jesus said, when you fast. When you fast, not if you fast. We fast to seek guidance from God. We fast to seek the salvation of a loved one. And the last reason we might fast is to seek something from God that only he can do. Sometimes we... (laughs) We just fast to see God do the miraculous. Let me encourage you. Whether it's the the birth of a worldwide church movement or just a ministry that God's put on your heart, like Acts 13, whether it's the salvation of a loved one, whether it's just God, do the miraculous. In my marriage, in my job, in my life, I'm gonna stop talking and I'm gonna start praying and fasting. Jesus said, when you fast, when you fast, let's pray. Can I have people of the prayer team come on up? Father, we can't... um, make you do anything but you tell us that we we have not because we ask not and over and over again in the scriptures you tell us to fast whether it's over sin or humility or just to worship you or to to bring about things that only you can do and so we want to be a people who obey that We want to listen to your voice. We want to listen to the Spirit of God and be obedient to that. Father, I know right now in this room that there are many whose marriages are struggling, whose children are wayward, whose spouses don't know Jesus. And maybe you're calling us individually and collectively to fast for the things that are really important to your heart and to pray. Help us to be a a, a people not described by how amazing our gifts are, but how passionate our prayers and fasting are. The people of hiddenness. The people who do things in secret that you might gain the full reward and glory. We love you and commit this time to you in Jesus' name.